Well, good morning. My name is Nathan Martin, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Community Christian, and I am so glad you're here with us today. And whether this is your first time with us or whether you call Community Christian your home, we're all really in the same place today. I don't even have to know you, but I probably know how you're feeling because I think we're all really at similar places with this new normal that we're all living through. In fact, we've been in this teaching series we're calling The New Normal, where we're talking about the fact that all of us are living in a story we weren't expecting to ever live, meaning we all had a story planned out for our lives. And because of all the changes in our world right now, the story we planned and the story we're living, they're not lining up. Some of you joining in are high school seniors, and you had a plan for what graduation would look like and what your summer plans and your college plans would look like, and now you're not so sure any of that's going to happen, at least how, happen how you want them to. I, mean, I have people in my life that are trying to navigate wedding plans right now and others who are expecting their first child, and it is not very storybook right now. And it doesn't feel fair because everyone else got the normal version of this, and you don't. And my heart breaks for them. Others watching right now, you're very near to retirement, but now you're not sure how all of this affects that. And all of us, whether we've experienced these big life changes or not, we're all living in a new normal that isn't at all what we would have planned. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been trying to figure out, well, what now? What do we do now? How, how do we live a good life, a life full of joy and purpose and meaning in this new normal? And what we've been learning is that most of our uncertainty and fear is coming from the fact that we're all dealing with a loss of control. We can't control our circumstances or the outcomes of our lives. And last week we learned that really control is and always has been a myth. We've never really been in full control of our lives. And so instead of defaulting to panic and worry, we go to God who is in charge of everything and we go to him with our concerns. And we don't just ask him, hey, God, fix my circumstances. But we identify, what is it that I really want? What is the desire that I'm trying to meet with these circumstances? And we ask God to meet us there, which is what he really wants to do for us. And today we're going to be learning from Jesus how we continue to deal with these things in life that we can't control by looking at the longest sermon of Jesus that we have recorded. And really, his goal in this entire sermon is to reveal to us what life in God's kingdom is really like. You see, the central message that Jesus went around teaching was not, hey, you just got to hold on until you get to heaven one day. Jesus came to announce that the time of God's rule on earth had come and that it was eternal and it would carry on forever. It's what Jesus called the kingdom of God. It's God at work in our midst. Not just preparing a place for our afterlife, but his power and his presence living in people and changing us and shaping us and empowering us to live the lives he intended us to live when he created us. And this wasn't just about your afterlife. It was about your life right here, right now. And Jesus' central message was that this kingdom of God, the, the reign and the power and the presence of God was somehow coming through him, that he was the physical embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. And so he would do these amazing things and he'd heal people and crowds would gather around him and then he would teach them about how they could also live a life like his, a life full of the peace and joy and power of God in every moment. 
And so one follower of Jesus named Matthew recorded one of these sermons that Jesus gave. And honestly, it was probably the kind of sermon that he gave over and over again. And this is how Jesus begins the sermon. Blessings on the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, this doesn't carry as much weight with us as it would have with his original audience. Because the word that we translate as blessings, or maybe you've heard something like, blessed are the poor in spirit, is the Greek word makarios. And this word, as a noun, it does mean blessed. But in its verb form, it was actually used as a greeting like a uh, congratulations. It's the kind of thing we say when someone has their first child or when they graduate or when they retire from their job. All that stuff we feel like we're missing out on these days. Well, they'd say back in those days, Makarios, blessings on you or blessed are you. And so it's almost this like ironic kind of opening that Jesus starts by saying, Blessings on you who are poor in spirit. Congratulations! A couple of months ago, I probably would have had to work hard to get you to really feel the controversial nature of those words. Well, we all get it now. I mean, when you're filing for unemployment for the first time, maybe ever in your life, or you're worried about someone you love who's working on the front lines of this epidemic, or you're just spiritually and emotionally exhausted like the poor in spirit people that Jesus talks to here, because that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It means you feel like from the core of who you are, in your spirit, you have nothing to offer anyone, nothing to offer God or any other person. You're just empty. You're spent. When that's where you're at, which many of us are, The last thing you want to hear is, congratulations. It feels a little insensitive. But Jesus explains why. Blessings on you for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the power and peace and joy of God is available to you. You know the kind of life you've always imagined? Free of stress and worry, full of joy and rest. Jesus would say the kind of life you see him living, it's available to you. And that is a blessing. No matter what your current circumstance is, you can live in the power and presence of God right now. Jesus goes on to say, even if you're mourning and grieving a great loss, which almost all of us are grieving the loss of something in our lives. He says, even if you're meek, which just means powerless and like you have no control over anything in your life, which Jason taught last week, we all understand that feeling right now. Even if that's where you're at, Congratulations, Makarios, the eternal life, the kind of life we will have in eternity with God. It's available right now. Eternity is now in session, and you're invited. And so for the rest of this sermon, Jesus just begins to describe how the kingdom of God, the power of life with God, it just invades every part of our lives. And then he gets to this section of the sermon that I really want to focus on for the rest of our time together because I think if we can begin to see life through this lens that Jesus gives us, it would change how we see our new normal. This is what Jesus says. So let me tell you, don't worry about your life. To which we all say, no, Jesus, let me tell you. My life is nothing but stuff to worry about. I'm worried about my job and my family and the economy. And I've been locked up with these kids for six weeks and I'm learning a whole lot of new things about them that I need to worry about or someone needs to. I mean, don't worry may work for Disney characters who sing Hakuna Matata, no worries. But 
We're past a Disneyfied world where we can just sing, let it go, let it go, and step into the unknown without any fear. And see, that should have you worried about me because I've been in a house with four girls under the age of 10. I am not doing okay. But I think we all have this feeling like ever since COVID-19, the world is just full of things we need to worry about. In fact, you're not really being wise if you're not a little worried about this. I mean, the whole don't worry about your life may have been simple when my biggest worry about going to Taco Bell was just the general concern we all should have while eating at Taco Bell and not all this other stuff. Don't worry may have worked 2,000 years ago, Jesus, but it's just not that simple now. But let's be clear. When Jesus originally told people there's more to life than food and more to your body than clothes... He wasn't talking to people like us who really don't worry about those kind of things on a day-to-day -day basis. The people he was talking to were all too familiar with being out of control of their lives. Everything from the poverty they lived in to the overinflated taxes they paid to their lack of property rights and legal rights to the government that oppressed them to the fact that plagues and epidemics were regular occurrences for them in a society where illnesses that can be treated with over-the-counter medicines by us were life-threatening to them. All of these things left these people with a deep understanding of worry and uncertainty and being out of control. And to this society, look at how Jesus responds to their uncertainty. Have a good look at the birds in the sky. And I know you wouldn't do this because it's Jesus, but, but come on, don't you want to say, the birds? Jesus, I'm talking about how I'm going to feed my kids. And my daughter's freaking about uh, her college and her future. And I'm worried about my mom's health. And you're talking about birds? And I know it's Jesus, so you kind of think everything he says is mystical and weird and a little out of touch. But imagine you were talking to a friend, and this is what they said. Hey, don't worry about your health benefits right now. Have you seen the birds? They don't have health coverage or a 401k. They don't freak out about what's going to happen with their AP exams or the government right now. The birds are doing all right. If someone said this to you in a moment of your panic and your worry, you'd think at best they were simply naive, and at worst, maybe they were crazy. But this is effectively what Jesus says. He says, look at the birds. They don't worry or stress about storing up things in barns or planning for the future, and still, God feeds them. Then he adds this thought. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And now Jesus' talk about birds, which seems so absurd to us, actually makes sense. It was meant to be absurd. Because Jesus is trying to make us deal with the absurdity of our worry. We're not accomplishing anything. Just like you and I think it's absurd for a bird to worry about things that are beyond its control, Jesus is pointing out, you also shouldn't worry about these things that are out of your control. I mean, worry is simply us just trying to gain some sense of control over the things in our life that we can't. And deep down, we know this is a waste of time because, I mean, we learned this last week. Control is a myth. But still, we end up falling into the same pattern of worry and anxiety over and over again. And Jesus says, don't worry. This is a waste of time. And we know it's even more than just a waste of time. Thanks to modern neuroscience and psychology, we know the negative effects of anxiety and worry on our bodies and on our minds. And 
Most of us, we don't even need science to tell us. We personally know the pain and the effects of anxiety on our lives and our mental health, and we hate it, and we know worry is a waste, but we don't seem to be able to stop. And then Jesus just keeps going down this same train of thought. This time he starts talking about how we shouldn't worry about our clothes, and he's not just talking about, you know, what you shelter yourself with, but also our status and what other people think of us. And he says, instead, look at the flowers of the field. He says they don't have to work to take care of themselves. Instead, God generously provides all they need. And he says, if God takes care of the flowers and the birds, won't he do so much more for you? And then he throws in this little phrase, you of little faith. And this isn't really like a put down. It's almost like a teasing kind of name, like you would do playfully with your child. It, it really might better translate to you little faither. Don't you know how much God loves you? Don't, don't you know how much he longs to give you good things? I mean, come on, you, you know how much he's working for your good, you little faither. Don't worry so much. And Jesus explains how this is an issue of more than just your personality or how anxiety prone you are. He says it's an issue of faith. He tells them, so don't worry about all these things that you get so freaked out about. Why? For the pagans. And all he means by pagans are just people who live as if there's no God. People who believe that this life and the concerns of this life, that's all there is. And Jesus isn't making a judgment here. It's really just a statement. He's saying, of course, if I believe this life is all there is and I'm the only one who determines how good my life turns out, then I would, as Jesus says, run after all these things too. But then Jesus reminds us, you know different. You know that your heavenly father knows that you need these things. So why are you freaking out about not being in control? He is. Why are you wasting time on worry? This is what you do instead. Instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. This is where everything Jesus has been saying becomes clear, at least to me. The goal of this is not simply just, hey, ignore your problems or have like a everything works out in the end zen-like attitude about things. This isn't some false promise even that, hey, if you follow God, everything's going to go your way. This isn't a put on a happy face and just pretend kind of advice. It's a reorienting of what matters most to you. It's about priority. Jesus is saying, if what matters most to you in life is this new kingdom that I'm bringing into the world, if it's what you hang all your hopes on, then you never have to worry because my kingdom is unshakable. God's power is never unstable. He's always in control. But as long as your hope for life being good rests in something that is unstable, as long as you keep saying to yourself, you know, hey, look, as soon as the market turns around, then everything will be fine. Or, you know, as long as everyone I love just stays healthy and safe. Or, you know, as long as I just do get to go to college this fall, then as long as your hope and confidence are in your circumstances, then worry is an inevitability because those things are uncertain. But Jesus is inviting us into a new life where what matters most to us is what God is up to in this world. Where what gets me up in the morning, what fills me with hope for the future, it isn't in what I dream or what I want to accomplish, but that the God of the universe is active and involved in this world, and he is working for my good and the good of every person. 
And it's not that I don't care about anything or anyone else. I mean, if God and his kingdom are my top priority, then loving others and working for their good is also a top priority to me. But my hope does not rise and fall on what happens to me in this life, but on whether or not God is accomplishing his purposes in this world. And guess what? COVID is not stopping God. He hasn't even stumbled. God's kingdom is still rapidly and powerfully advancing. This is why Jesus invites us to spend time considering the birds and the flowers because creation is just this powerful example that God is still at work in the world around us. Guys, the sun still rises every day. Every morning I step out onto my porch and there's a mother bird feeding her babies in a nest nearby. My neighbor just brought us some flowers from her yard because we don't maintain ours that well, so we don't have flowers. But it's just a reminder every moment. The world still spins on. God's kingdom is still advancing. God is still doing good all around me. And that means he's doing good for me as well. And this act of noticing this kind of stuff is actually a spiritual act. It's actually a spiritual discipline known as mindfulness. It's filling our minds with God's goodness and that is all around me really in every moment. One author refers to it as holy noticing. It's noticing things with a holy purpose, which is I just set my mind on God and his kingdom at work in my life and in this world. And it's in this act of noticing and being mindful of God that actually brings me peace. Most of us think of peace as something like this. It's a calm and serene kind of life. There's no trouble, no problems. Everything is as I would want it. There's no need to worry when everything is just the way I want it. But this is not what Jesus or what the biblical writers mean when they talk about peace. In fact, just after Jesus tells believers, hey, you don't need to worry, he doesn't promise them a trouble-free life. He says the opposite. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, it'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow, there's trouble coming, but today we'll have enough trouble for you to worry about. So only focus on this moment right now. In fact, when Jesus teaches us how to pray in this sermon he's been teaching, he, he tells us to pray for our daily needs, not for next week's problems. Pray for today's needs. Stay focused in this moment. And not because you don't have any trouble coming the next moment, but because you only live in this moment. This is the only moment you can control how you act. This is the only place that you can focus on. You can't live in the future or in the past. You can only live in the present, in the right now. And what worry does is it fragments you. It shatters your mind. You are actually only existing in this moment right here. But part of you is trying to exist in the future. This is why when the, when the biblical writers talk about peace, they don't picture a life without problems like a quiet stream. This is the picture they have in mind. They imagine wholeness, completeness, a person whose soul is centered in God and his kingdom. It's this ancient Hebrew word called Shalom, which we translate as peace, but maybe a better understanding of it is whole and complete. It's a person who isn't fragmented or scattered. And isn't that the best description of what worry makes us feel scattered? Shalom is a person who's seeking God's kingdom and what God wants. 
And shalom can only exist when we are not living in our future worries or our past guilt, but in this present moment. This is where God is at work for our good, right here, right now. This is where he meets us in this moment, right now. This is why we need that act of mindfulness. Most of our days, we are pretty mindless. In fact, it's mindlessness that leads to worry. And I know you think, no, my mind is full. It's racing with all these thoughts and worries. I need less things in my mind. But think about the general anxiety you face. It's not often led by just rational, logical conclusions you've made. Often it's just these like feelings you get in your gut, or it's a thought that just pops into your head, and you're like, that came out of nowhere. Your mind is idle, and it's wondering, and it, and it finds something to worry about. It's mindlessness, but mindfulness is a choice. It's us choosing to notice God at work right now all around us, which mostly I just ignore, but he's always there. And when we do, we're reminded of God's kingdom that is in our midst. He's not far off in heaven one day. It's closer than the air filling our lungs right now. And when we're mindful enough to slow down and notice it, it changes our view of our worries. I want to give you an example of what this look at the birds and flowers kind of noticing looks like from a pastor who has helped me a lot in this area. His name is Greg Boyd. He wrote uh, about a time when he suddenly became aware of God's love and power all around him. He wrote, One fall morning as I ran my laps on a beautiful five-mile trail that circled a lake, I prayed and enjoyed the scenery, though my mind was mostly focused on an upcoming race in the future. I worried whether I could win and what my strategy would be, and I worried that perhaps I hadn't trained enough. About two hours into my run, however, something unusual happened. I noticed a cricket chirping. For reasons that still escape me, I slowed down to pay attention. Immediately, I noticed another cricket, then another, and in a moment, I was surrounded by a choir of crickets. They had been chirping throughout my run, but I just hadn't been listening. As I came to a halt, I giggled in amazement at how deaf I had been. He goes on to explain how all of his senses began to wake up to everything all around him. The sounds of bees buzzing and birds singing and the sunlight beaming through the mist and the treetops and the colors of flowers and the smells of the leaves and the lake and the trees and the flowers. And then Boyd makes this point. The moment felt sacred. I felt I was waking up to God's presence permeating all things and reflected in all things. It seemed I was, for the first time, waking up to the way the world is supposed to be experienced, the way it really is, overwhelmed by the sense of God's presence and breathtaking beauty. I began to weep. Imagine a life that is like that in every moment, mindful of God's presence and breathtaking beauty, a mind full of God's kingdom all around us, working for our good. Why would we ever worry? This is the life Jesus experienced. It's the life he invites us into. It's the life one biblical writer describes in this way. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. That term perfect peace is actually translated from the writer using the word shalom twice. Shalom, shalom is how he said it, and we translate it as perfect peace, full and complete peace. A mind that is fixed on God and his goodness, a life not consumed with worries about the future or trying to control things that are out of my control, a mind that is not fragmented at all, it is perfectly whole. It experiences the perfect peace of God. 
Not because all of our problems got solved, but because our God and his kingdom are bigger than our problems. So you see, this isn't really just an invitation not to worry, but to enter fully into the kingdom of God. It's an invitation away from mindlessness and into mindfulness to fill our minds with God and his goodness. And as we do, our fears and our anxieties, they just seem smaller in comparison. So I want to invite you for the next few minutes to fill your mind with thoughts of your heavenly father and his love for you. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God will never leave you. He can be trusted. And no matter what worry seems to face us, all of us can say, Makarios, congratulations. The kingdom of God is here and I am safe. For his love is wrapping around me. Let those thoughts fill your mind as we listen to this song together.